This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Trey, thank you for joining us for Tuesdays with Trey. Um, we do from time to time have folks on this podcast that we know or we think we know in one setting of life. Perhaps we know them as a television personality or a media star, but the reality is we have no idea what they're like off camera or how they got to where they are. And I'm always interested in that story. And today's guest is very, very well known. She has two shows of her own. I mean, two that I can count. She may have more than that. She's actually one of my favorite people to watch because um, the couple of times she probably won't even remember this. I, I saw her for the first time in person at a White House correspondence dinner, and you can just tell there's something different about her. It's I don't know if it's humility. I don't, I don't, I can't, I'll ask her what it is, but her name is Harris Faulkner. You've seen her oh, a thousand hello. times. Um, and now you get to hear from her. How are you? Oh, uh, thank you. It was so hard for me to stay silent during that. I just wanted to, to give you a, a long distance hug and say, thank you for those kind <laughs> words. And well, I mean, um, you probably don't even remember that I was with Greta um, cause Greta used I to like, I do, I do remember <laughs> that now that you, yes, yes, that's been a minute ago. It, it, yeah, but it left an impression on me because that's kind of a weird night. It's it is. Um, like prom night almost, although Greta could do better in terms of a prom date than me. And she had, no. she liked to bring like unusual folks. She brought, I think her name was Catherine McPhee. Yes. She wrong. sat at that table. Yes, right. from, um, was it American Idol, Catherine McPhee? Yeah. I think so. Um, but I remember that night, and I remember being introduced to you. And, you know, Greta does love to bring interesting, different people together. But she also loves to bring people together who love people. And I always feel like when I'm in her constellation and she introduces me to people like you that I've met someone that I'll know if I act properly for the rest of my life. Like the standard is high. She means for us to bump into each other and I get excited. And it's been an honor to have you on my show and just to get to know you as, as much as I can. I mean, during the pandemic, nobody got to really see each other, but, um, but you have a beautiful way of looking at things. And I, I know you love your wife and, and you're a great dad and, Thank you for showing the world who you are. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm going to make sure my wife listens to this <laughs> podcast. <Yes. laughs> I, I think usually she listens to other people's podcasts, but I, I'm going to try to get her to listen to this one. I, you know, not to dwell on Greta, but Greta, you know, when you, when you like find out who Greta is friends with or who she has friendships with, you're kind of stunned because she's, I mean, this notion that you surround yourself with people that think exactly like you, Greta does not do that. No, she so, does not. So she had a really famous person and then she had kind of a backbencher, no name member of Congress, which was weird that she would have both of us together. And I remember <laughs> sitting across from you and number one, I mean, in person, one of the most glamorous people I've ever oh, seen in my life you. in person. But even like once you get over that, being in the presence of glamour, <laughs> you can just tell that night there was something different about you. Well, thank you. I, you know, every opportunity that I have to grow, I don't take that for granted. And those dinners are weird, some of them. But I always tend to run into people that 
become the next thing in news. And that particular night, there were some players, if I remember. I, I think Kevin Spacey was at that one. Um, and I know Russell Wilson was at that one because I met his mom and I have a picture. You know, the football player for Seattle. Oh, yeah. Well, no, oh, he's yeah. not in Seattle anymore. He just went to the Broncos. I have a picture with his mom. She was so sweet. And Russell's about a foot shorter than I am, especially in heels. And I just, I, I love the fact that you never know, but especially when Greta's around. And I first met Greta in Aruba. I hope she listens to this podcast because we're, we're talking about her. Um, and I was sitting in the hallway of the media hotel at the end of the beach. Natalie Holloway had been missing for about a week and a half. And a lot of the cable shows were coming in to do um, coverage of it. I got there the night after Natalie had disappeared and met Beth Holloway at the Holiday Inn counter as two Americans who stuck out to each other. So I didn't even know Natalie was missing. I was there on a different assignment. And anyway, I'm in this hallway and Geraldo Rivera walks by, Larry King walks by. I'm sitting down on the floor, just waiting for my turn to go in and use a little microphone pod to do my show, A Current Affair, from the balcony. And then Greta Van Susteren walks by. Harris, I heard you were here. You're part of our entertainment division. How are you? I'm well. Are you Greta Van Susteren? Who else would I be? Well, it's nice to meet you. I want you to come on my show. And then Larry King turned around and he said, no, 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 she's on my show next. And then Sean Hannity turned around and said, no, she's on my show next. And Greta said, look at me making you famous. <laughs> I loved her. <laughs> I don't know who made you famous, but someone did. I guess they all take credit. But th- oh no, she is- was great. She was great. <laughs> all right. So you're born in Georgia. Yes. You live part of your adolescence or childhood in Germany, and you mm-hmm. go to college in California, which for the m- most part covers the globe. And that's all before you're you know barely out of your twenties. Um, what was for those of us who kind of never left our hometown, what's it like to grow up like that? Well, you know, I wish sometimes that I had a hometown that I hadn't left, especially now that I've gotten older and I've lost both my parents, my dad on Christmas Day of 2020 and my mother four Thanksgivings before that. So the holiday season is particularly hard. I, I live in a small town now, and that's part of the reason why I want to make sure that I have that support around me. But growing up, My dad was a war pilot, and in the 60s, when he did his first tour as a combat pilot in Vietnam, um, my mother and I were shipped off to Stuttgart, Germany. I was a baby, like a tiny baby, and we were there. We were in Stuttgart. We were in Fredericksburg, um, and then he did back-to-back tours, and the war got harder, Um, but my dad leaned into the concept that there was strife at home. As a black man, he wanted to serve a country that he thought he had seen so much potential in. He loved this country, Trey. He did. He believed in this country. He believed that things were possible here that were not possible anywhere else in the world. And while the coloreds can't drink here or sit at this lunch counter, signs were up. He became, through his graduation at... Georgia Tech and engineering, um, aeronautics. Um, He became one of those people that set the course for possibility. Now, mind you, it was only in his circle. He was one of the first African-Americans to graduate with a graduate degree in the sciences at Georgia Tech. Um, And he was quite the flyer. He just did amazing things. And when he became a major and then a lieutenant colonel, and he was moving up the ranks. He served on the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, for Colin Powell. He was uh, at the Pentagon when I was in like third and fourth grade. And my mom, the the very social butterfly and immaculate five foot 11 model. I mean, she was and she was brilliant, you know. Um, had a big Afro wig with the, with the big loop earrings back in the 60s and her hot pants. And I mean, the two of them on base were just, the pictures are amazing. 
but they never stopped helping people. Like that was their thing. My dad wanted people to see possibility through the way that we lived our lives. And he wanted us to be on the other side of the civil rights movement as people who never lost their hope no matter what happened. And a lot happened um, to us and around us. And my mother was always, always instilling in me the richness and the importance of travel. So we did travel a lot in the military. Every 16, 17 months after the war, he had a new assignment. So, you know, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, he was at the command staff college in uh, Leavenworth, Kansas, at Fort Leavenworth when I was in earlier grade school. Um, And I, I always had connective tissue with other people in the military. It's my understanding and my weddedness to supporting the men and women in blue now. About 19% of them are former military members. Um, I now want to live out a life that shows people the possibilities. We're not all the same. We should listen and talk to each other no matter what. So I, I feel like all of that early travel has set me up for the life that I have now. I still continue to speak across the country. I'm starting that again uh, in June with a commencement speech and on and on from there. It's important. And, and I feel so richly blessed by the journey that I've had with them and now with them watching out for me from above. Sit tight. We'll have more of this interview after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Harris, I wanted to track your biography, but you said something that I I think people have have got to stop for a second and at least do the best they can to put themselves in someone else's shoes. Okay, so here's, here's this man of color who loves his country and wants to serve his country. And on the one hand, he's looking at signs that say whites only. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, he is hearkening back to this dream, this birthright of a country. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal. And, and for those of us who are white, it is hard. It is hard to have any idea what it is like to see those signs or live that life. And yet he clearly had a devotion to a country um, that had a different aspiration than, than, than what we were living at the time. Yes. Faith. That's what did it. I mean, my, my parents didn't just go to church. And by the way, church became more and more important when we were in the military to them. I mean, I was a baby. I don't I don't remember every trial and tribulation. But they were they were married. Like they were they were each other's everything, Trey. They they were the only ones like them in their lives. You know, my my dad's younger brothers, my mom's eight other siblings in Texarkana, Texas. They all thought they were crazy to be traveling around trying to defend this nation at a time when the civil rights were on fire. I mean, the conversation, the, the violence, everything. I mean, it was a tough place to be in America. They, they thought my parents were nuts. And they were vocal about that. And certain family members didn't want to support them in that journey. But they never lost who they were. They knew their purpose. And they gained that through faith. They were very strong in, in staying connected to each other through faith because they were physically apart. You know, dad was off at a war. And I think that's what guided them because when you go other places, Trey, and you see how it could be, whenever my dad and mom would come back together and she would tell him, you know, I think we should go tell the family what you've seen. He's like, no, I don't want to talk about the war. And she's like, you don't know how important it is for them to know how good we really have it. And how great it will be if we help the people with change who are doing it peacefully. And and that really, as a child, I started seeing the beginning of journalism in my life. My dad was an incredible speaker. Oh, my gosh, that voice. He, to this day, if I 
if I play a recording of him, which is something I, I do for my children every now and then, I don't want them to forget Grandpa Bobby's voice. It'll give you chills. He was our black Walter Cronkite and my wow. family, especially. And wow. he would read the newspaper out loud to the family and he would make sense of those headlines when he came back from war. And he would tell my cousins, he would say, we are the best. But don't sit like a potted plant. If someone needs your help, if there, if there is something we can do to show people that we are worth saving and helping in this country, we people of dark skin, go do it. All right, I'm going to ask you about your faith because that clearly is part of your ancestral legacy and it is part of your current life. If we could get into a time machine mm. and go back and look at Harris Faulkner in high school, what would we see? Really bad hair and a gap in her teeth that makes Michael Strahan look like a puppy. <laughs> oh, my God, the dental work. Um, the worst you had a gap in your teeth? I'm bigger than him. You could have dri- driven a bus through it. You, do you know Lauren Hutton? Have you ever heard of the model? I met Hutton? her years ago. She would never remember the occasion, but I did. She had a gap in her teeth and she was a world-class model. Yeah, that probably wasn't going to happen to me. Okay. Because right. I was I was really skinny, like knock me over with a feather skinny and my height now when I was like 13. So I'm five, nine. So I was a like just the oddest, most awkward looking child you've ever seen. And that gap and the hair. I had like Farrah Fawcett part. My mom would blow out my fro and it was six inches longer. And so I had shoulder length hair with these like waves. And as long as there was no humidity, I could keep that. And uh, and I was always impeccably dressed, though. Like fashion was I was um, voted best dressed in my high school. And I, I, that was important to me. I don't know why. Like I was never exposed to any sort of, well, my mother maybe, cause she was really, really hip and fashionable, but it wasn't like she took me to anything like that. It's like she would go off and work and come back and I'd be like, wow, look at that pantsuit. Cause you know, pantsuits were all the rage, not Hillary Clinton style, but more, you know, like mod squad. So um, for the young folk listening to you, they have no idea what that means. But, uh, I really, really think that I would have been somebody, Trey, that we would have been friends, but it would have been like a pity friendship. Like you would have looked at no, me and said, I don't believe oh, that. Harris, girl, I don't know how they let you out the house, but let me help you out until you have one friend. I don't believe that. Oh, it's true. Uh, <laughs> and then through high school. Um, I started to do internships. My dad worked for Ford Aerospace when he got out of the military. This was in Northern California, and I was in high school, maybe a freshman, sophomore in high school at the time, San Jose. I got into drama a little bit, and um, and I started doing internships with my dad at his engineering firm, and I had to wear a suit, and people would always comment on my height and everything, so my mother got me into runway modeling. And I, I, I could walk. I mean, that was like my one skill. I could stop, as they say, on a runway. And then once other people started helping me, I did look more like less awkward. My parents got my teeth fixed. I, I didn't mind the gap so much, but um, I didn't speak really well with it, though. Like I had a good voice, but I sort of talk like this. And my parents were like, maybe if we got our teeth fixed. Like, Bobby, she's got your vocals, but I don't know. Maybe if we, and like speech therapists would say, we think we can help her. I got my teeth fixed. I was fine. Um, But I still kind of miss it because it was me. It was authentically me. I don't know. But yeah, no, you would have run in the other direction for most of the time. (laughs) Now I know why you believe in God, because what you just described is so far so far removed from what you are now. I mean, you just described. <laughs> that it took an act a, of God? Yes. My parents skinny, would agree with you. A skinny girl with a gap in her teeth and fair faucet hair and not a great voice. And, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking something happened. Something happened. You know, I always felt most at home at church. And my, those were the, that was the one day of the week on Sunday mornings so when my mother insisted on dressing me. And she made sure that in my closet there was a pretty dress and that I looked good on that day. She might put a little lip gloss or some eyeshadow on me. Of course, it was powder blue. Very odd. But that was the day it was in the 70s and 70s and 80s. And we would go to church. And I, I you know what? I don't even like the word happiness because that's more of a like a 
situational thing. I had joy and peace at church. I had true joy. Like, like I, I would just go in there and I felt accepted. And my mother had a rule about certain people we didn't sit with at church because they'd be gossiping. And she's like, you know, you can't, you can't do that anyway, but certainly not in the house of the Lord. And I started to understand how some people go to church and some people are just at church. And she wanted me to be a person who goes to church and is part of the action that's going on, the activity of praise and listening for the Lord's message that day. And that was so much a part of my transformation because I was most, my most beautiful self on the outside because she was working it on a Sunday morning. But I felt my most beautiful self on the inside because nothing else mattered but just being there at that moment with her and my dad and, and my little sister at the time, Anissa. We're, we're 11 years apart, so she was a baby for most of my, my young years. And everybody was joyful, and we were thankful. And we were living unbelievable lives as black people in this country. We didn't have money. We didn't have much. He was a military guy, so we didn't have that. But we were rich in other ways, rich in purpose. We knew who we were. We didn't get lost in that. And because of my dad and my mom, their siblings and their children, my cousins, have grown up like that. Like they were great influencers in our family. They were the original social media influencers without the media. They were just social influencers in our own family. And that was important. And from there, I mean, everybody that my family has touched in Dallas, Texas, I was talking about this on the air earlier because we're going to take our big family vacation to Dallas. Instead of spending money on lots of transportation, we're going to feed everybody and do dinners and stuff. And uh, I look at the lives that, that, like my uncles, Ronnie and Tim, just two, two kind of fun guys. My, my uncle Ronnie, you know, I got to go change out the gun in the rack of my car because I, I got a new one. And, you know, <laughs> and, and, and my uncle Tim has tried to play golf, but it's a disaster. He gets flat tires. And it's just funny. I mean, they have a lot of funny stories, but they wanted to be places where maybe you wouldn't see us. So my uncle goes to, go, to gun shows and he's like, you'd be amazed at how many people who look like us are out there just into the weapons. I, I don't know why they don't watch Fox. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness. You know, my other uncle doesn't watch Fox because he doesn't watch much TV. He loves Beyonce. These are my dad's younger brothers. And so his thing is helping everybody he can to get hooked on sports where you hardly ever see people of color. And I don't know. It's, it's been an interesting journey started by Bob and Shirley. It has. But my church time with Bob and Shirley will mark me for the rest of my life as someone who is a true believer and it really takes a lot to shake my faith. All right. Speaking of shaking faith, uh, how in the world do you navigate? And I don't know what it was. I mean, I'm, I'm really not in the media now. I'm kind of like a part-time mistake that Fox management That's made. That's not true. You, we love you. My gosh, you come on the air and the Faulkner Focus fans go crazy. <laughs> Well, how do you navigate in what seems to be an increasingly negative world? Um, what what role does your faith play? Because I'll tell you here, some days it just seems like overwhelmingly bad. Yeah. Well, one thing that I, I try to keep into perspective or put into perspective and, and keep honest about is the fact that our time here is so short. And I try to really control the urge to complain about things all the time, every day. And even during the pandemic, when my older relatives were getting very ill, one spent 60 some days in the hospital and is still struggling with long COVID and she's in her 70s, diabetic, so on and so forth. Um, even during those times when my dad died on Christmas Day 2020, those low times, those low points in the pandemic. I try to keep the perspective that I'm still here and there is a purpose for my life. And while I may get up some mornings 
and I feel more challenged than others and I feel depressed or sad, just like everybody. We, we had a lot of time in isolation in this country. So we were all over the world. We've had a lot of time in the last 24, 36 months to think about who we are and what we want to do. And I emerge with one thing in mind, consistency. So I literally am very methodical. I literally do the same thing every day when I get up, no matter how I feel. I make my bed. I say my prayers. I take my shower. I help my 12-year-old feed her guinea pig. I, I make eye contact with each of my daughters, my 12 and my 15-year-old daughters. The only meal sometimes we have together is breakfast. It's the most important I'm the first and the last person they see in the morning. My husband's kind of in the background because he doesn't make breakfast, but he eats it. So he's there. Um, I imprint on them every day. And then I go to work here at Fox. And there are some days when I can't contain myself. I've got an interview coming up and I got all sorts of things. Or my youngest has just won gold medals on Friday at, at the Governor's Cup in gymnastics this past Friday. I'm all into that or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then there's some days when I miss my parents or are we going to war? Like what's going on right now? What's happening? Russia's threatening. When I woke up this morning, they were threatening nukes. What the heck happened overnight? Um, and you wake up on those days I do the same thing every day because I know in the end, there's a reason why I'm going forward. God has put a purpose on me and I'm not going to play with that as long as I have breath to live. Well, I am glad to meet another routine person. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if you want to throw me into a psychiatric hospital, like interfere with even the smallest detail of, my, of my routine. Uh, <laughs> oh, I no. mean, Wait a minute. Uh, what do you do? I don't want to rob the listeners. I've talked to you. Uh, well, it, it's much less glamorous. I don't make eye contact with anyone. My wife is long gone because <laughs> she's the school teacher, but oh, that's awesome. I eat the same thing every morning for breakfast. You eat the I mean, same you wanna, thing every morning. Same. Oh, thing. pray tell. And what is you, it? Oatmeal. You eat oatmeal every morning. Do you put every bacon in it? Because I could eat that. I, I don't put I put cinnamon on it every day, you <laughs> every day. And if you want to throw me into like a loop that I cannot recover from, then have me stay in a hotel that doesn't have oatmeal. Oh, I don't wow. care about the bed. I don't care. I, I need ESPN. Do you take your I own need... oatmeal just to make sure everything's OK? No, but I've been known to take my own snacks with I'll me because yeah. I just um, and I that. used to not be like that. I mean, my mom and my wife say well, you, you used to like. What happened? Not, I I don't know. I I I don't know. I used to like be able to go with the flow and whatever's fine with me. I don't know. I guess I got old. But um, all right, I want to ask you a question that you I know did not get about. old. Well, no, but you know, it does. You know what it brings into our lives, though, something that sometimes the world doesn't offer us. And I'm telling you, this world, it's like your world about, your word rather, rather about persuasive. Your book is amazing. I say this on the air all the time, the power of persuasion and how important that is in all of our lives. Consistency works the same way. It gives you control at the top of your day. And that's what that oatmeal does for you. You're, you're controlling your environment from the moment you get up. Now, I'd have to throw some bacon and some some molasses on that, but you do what you got to do. <laughs> well, my, my routine is oatmeal, coffee, and then I, I begin to talk with other people at about 1130 or 12. That That's really... You go half your day without making contact, contact with anybody else? I, I, I just am not. Wow. I mean, the, people that, the people that know me are laughing right now because they, they, they know. I mean, to say he's not a morning person redefines what morning is. He's just not an a.m. Oh, my goodness. But do you go to bed late? I go to bed about one. Ooh, I've been I've been asleep at that point for three hours. Oh, my heavens. Yeah, because I get up at five fifteen, five thirty for the first of series. You know, I do do. Fox stuff before my kids even get up at 6.15, but yeah. Wow. That's fascinating to me because you are such, I mean, your litigation skills and then Congress, like you are such a people person, but you're right. It's not about that. It's about the hours. You just don't want to see any of us before noon. I get it. It is also forced. I mean, I tell people all the time, I mean, you know, Tim Scott is yeah. like not a colleague to me. He's like a family member. 
and people that meet him will say, oh, he's so outgoing and he's so gregarious. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, he's the most introverted person I know. Really? But but he forces himself to be an extrovert. And and that How is how did you guys time. meet? We met. He was by far the most well-known part of that 2010 you know, freshman class. I mean, we had Sean Duffy, who was very well known yeah. because of MTV. MTV. We, yeah. Christy Nome, very well known. Uh, Kensinger was in that class. Uh-huh. Um, it were 80. But Tim was far and away the best known. And I mean, I, this is not false modesty. Harris. I mean, nobody knew who I was. I mean, I, I know past in politics there was no i didn't beat a democrat to get there and i don't know i think tim looked at me and said he's not um he's i don't want to say not a rival but he's not ambitious we're not ever going to oppose one another for something and actually i gave him what i thought was good advice the first time we ever had dinner together which is don't let other people spend your capital you know he Oh, wow. That is great advice. I wish you could have told my younger self that. Well, in business, just in business. Yeah. You know, people, leadership in the House and I I loved all those guys, but leadership in the House sees, okay, black Republican, we need to put him front and center. But that's not what Tim Scott sees. Tim Scott sees a Christian who happens to be conservative who runs under the Republican label. And oh, by the way, you may have noticed I'm a man of color. That's the order in which he sees himself. And so he's being asked to do these things that kind of mal malalign his priorities. You know, they see a black Republican. Right. He sees a Christian who happens to be in politics, who happens to be black. Uh-huh. And so we were eating dinner and I said, look, I don't know where they were when you were walking in the Charleston, South Carolina heat going door to door. I don't know where they were when you knocked on the door of houses that had Confederate flags flying in the front yard. Did he really? But I know where they weren't. They weren't where you were. So they didn't earn the right to do what you want to do. And you did. And we've been. I mean, he'll preach my funeral. He will preach primarily because he is willing to talk for a long time. And make stuff up if necessary. And those are the two requirements <laughs> oh, that's terrible. that I have. So first of all, <laughs> would you say this whole Confederate flag thing, how they're knocking on, like he's knocking on doors. Did that really happen? Oh, because he went door He went door to door with a guy see, that this, had on a Confederate flag. I but, love but the that. guy supported him. I love him. that. I love that. Exactly. That's exactly what my dad would say. He's like, you gotta, you gotta knock on every door. You gotta let people see you, and you need to see them and experience each other because you don't know until you go. And and the story you just told about Senator Tim Scott is so much that. And by the way, I don't know who will go first, and you don't either. Maybe you guys should record these things <laughs> to make sure that you get what you want. Because I get the I get the control bit from you now, Trey Gowdy, you oatmeal eating man. <laughs> I uh, He's I do a, need to get him to record it because I, I do record need to. Record that eulogy. You don't know who's going first, both of you. And I may want to play it a few times before oh, then. Oh, see, just, look at you. Just to remind myself that he is <laughs> the best. He's he's one of the best people I've ever met in my oh, life. And he, he was, I love that. So I I have to ask, and I, I realize it's your podcast, but I, <laughs> I have a question. Tell me about your wife. Like, what did she think when she met you? Well, I just wrote a book. I'm going to ask you about your book. I I just wrote a book um, about decisions and and how I met her. Uh, I met her at church. We were going on what's called choir tour uh, where we sang in prisons. And um, and I had a very small this will shock you. I had a very small non singing part as a rebellious youth. So it required no acting at all. (laughs) And she was far and away the most talented person at our church. She sings beautifully. And I saw her across the choir room and my friends kind of bet me that I would not go speak to her because, I mean, she was at the time and still is the most beautiful creature I have ever seen in my life. Oh, my goodness. So I went over there and um, 
you know, I thought, what's the worst thing can happen to me? I mean, she can turn around and not speak. She can say, can, can you I ask know, you one I quick question? What did you yes. look like at that point? Since you asked me what my younger self looked like, what did you look um, like? What was she seeing I, walking toward her? Like, was she excited about it or a little scared? I, well, <laughs> I'm I kidding. I, 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 I doubt she was very excited. I think, <laughs> I think that summer my, after my senior year of high school, I, I, I had long blonde hair. And then I decided to shave like it how all long off. was that blonde hair? Uh, as long as my father would let me have it. Um, so shoulder? Uh, not quite that long, but but socially inappropriately long for church. Wow. Okay. And, and I shaved it all off. And I literally shaved my head. And it had grown back a little bit. So I'm sure she thought uh, recent parolee. Um, Military? She could have thought... Not a parolee. She could have thought military, but then she thought, but his shirt tail's out. So he's got no discipline whatsoever. So he's not military. I I think she probably, I mean, my wife is is a rescuer. I think what she probably saw is someone (laughs) who had potential. um, But she, Harris, she is the kindest, sweetest, most Christ-like person I've ever met in my life. Wow. I mean, going to church for me is, I don't want to say a letdown, but I, I, I live with it. I mean, I, in terms of living out really? what people purport to believe, there's no one that does it like she does. Oh, I love that. That is and a she's beautiful. beautiful. If you can imagine Jacqueline Smith having a younger sister. Wow. That's what she, she's, I mean, to, I mean, to me, the prettiest person I've ever seen. But she's also modest, which I don't get, because if I look like that, I would not be modest. (laughs) I I, I would not be. I would I would I would go to the mall even if I didn't need anything just so people could see me. You you are hilarious. Well, all right. I I do want to ask you because I got got a wife. I got a daughter. I got three sisters. And if I were to sit here. And, and kind of figure out the biggest influences in my life, I'd say 90% of them are women. But there is something about our culture that at least from a male perspective makes it harder on women. So number one, am I right? Number two, hmm. what would Harris Faulkner say to a 16, 17, 18 year old girl struggling with the expectations of the world, maybe struggling with self image what what would you say to a younger Harris Faulkner? Well, I have two at home. Okay. Uh, Bella is 15 and Danica will be 13 this weekend on the day of state's competition, which is huge in gymnastics, especially at her age. She's a baller. My older daughter is becoming a culinary expert. She wants to get into contests and do the whole food thing um, and a marketing genius She's a New Jersey Honor Society, top 1% and in her grades. And my younger daughter is at like a Harry Potter private school. My older daughter's in public. Danica's in private for a whole host of different reasons, different kids. And that kid brought home straight A's and her gymnastics require anywhere from 9 to 12 hours a week. I don't know how they do their lives. So I sometimes feel like they don't need me. I speak all over the country, and my favorite age group is between about 15 and, and 25, although I speak, you know, to everybody, but, but I just generally very young people. And I realize my daughters do need me to say one thing. Social media is making us a mean country. Social media is making us a mean world. People will say and do things that you wouldn't say and do. And if you are going to rest your personal power for good, your purpose that God puts on you, if you are going to walk this earth as someone who goes to bed at night and wakes up and knows the gratitude you have in your heart for the Lord and that he can expect you at all times not to be perfect, but to shoot for it, to shoot for his supernatural favor through your actions, through your trials, your sicknesses, your loves, your challenges with difficult people. If you are going to do that, you've got to remember that there are monsters in the world. And I won't get too much into making it personal about my girls because they get embarrassed when I talk about them. But one of them came to me just yesterday upset 
because someone in her circle, not her inner circle, but her school circle, had said something really cruel. And she said, I feel like she's gunning for me and I'm only showing her kindness. And I said, sometimes when people show you who they are, you have to stop trying to color them differently. Maybe they're not red, white, and blue and patriot. Maybe maybe they're not pink and purple and, and sweet and fluffy. Maybe they're just who they are. You can walk away. Because if you get sucked in and they begin to change you and pull you off of your God's purpose, you're in trouble. And by the way, when they go home, they don't think about you or what they've done. So here was my one line to my daughter. Here's what I would tell my younger self and your younger daughter and any woman out there, no matter what age she is, still has that young girl in her. And you can make this change in your life anytime you decide to at 15 or 50. There are monsters. Do not feed them oxygen. And by oxygen... It is engaging and gossip with them. It is being in their company when you know they don't deserve it. When you know they're doing bad things and you sit there and you try to pour cream on it to make it taste good. Oh, you didn't mean what you said about Sally. Well, maybe she did. But if you sit there and let it happen in your presence, you're giving that oxygen. And when you walk away, when they ask you why you're walking away, be brave enough to tell them. God has put a purpose on my life and I have some place to go. So as I promised, I'll give you the one line. Do not feed monsters oxygen. Starve the monsters. Feed the queen. And you are the queen. God has so blessed you. He's, he's put a crown on your head and, and said, you are the one I've chosen for this. Maybe my mother was a social worker for decades. Maybe like your wife, they're rescuers. Maybe that's it. Teachers and social workers and police officers. God has put a crown on them. Don't let anybody pull that away from you. So when the monsters come, starve them of the oxygen. Feed the queen. Go pray. Pull yourself away. Go work harder. Do more of what you know you should be doing. They really won't miss you. And you won't miss them. That is such amazing advice. It, it is hard, Harris, to, for and maybe when, you know, when, when we get older, it's a little bit easier to see. I mean, Saul hated David because mm-hmm. David was good. Yes. I mean, it wasn't. Yes. I mean, and then one of my favorite books is Billy Budd. Billy Budd, which was written by Herman Melville, had someone who hated him, a guy named John Claggart. Mm-hmm. And, and Claggart hated Billy Budd because he was good. So so you you trying to be good, you trying to be nicer. I'd love to tell your daughters about a rule that I ate dinner every night with Tim Scott when I was in D.C., but but almost when almost invariably John Ratcliffe was there and Kevin McCarthy was there. And every now and again, Chaffetz was there. Although I got to be honest, the Mormons were not a ton of fun to be around. I mean, they won't drink coffee. They won't drink tea. They, 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 but every now and again, we let him come and we oh, had a rule. Fun. I know you're joking. Cause no, he is I'm actually completely super fun. Joking. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm completely joking. All five of us are boring. There's, there's not a I single one of us. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. <laughs> I was okay with it too. I mean, I, what I tell people is if you hang around with Tim Scott, you're not going to have any fun, but you're not going to get in any trouble. So uh, between the two, I'll pick, but we had a rule that we did not discuss what was on social media. We didn't discuss articles mm-hmm. in Politico or CNN and, and our and our reasoning was simple. We knew one another better than anyone commenting on us. So why would we care Ooh, what people who don't know us think about us? Oh, my gosh. That's like that's so basic. It's oxygen. Now, that's the kind of oxygen I'm talking about. You want to breathe that in. That's uh, brilliant, we, Trey. Uh, we, we, I mean, we, we every now and again, we would have a guest that would kind of want to start a sentence with, you know, hey. Radcliffe, I'm I'm sorry about what was written about you in the Hill, and we would stop him and say he didn't read it, and 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 we're not going to talk about it. The, whoever said that about him does not know us like does not know him like we know him. He does. They don't know him like he knows himself. 
So why would we care? And social media, I mean, you got people under fake names and silly avatars commenting that could be a thousand miles away. So why would we yeah. care? I don't know. But, but you know, I, I'm more than once a day. And, of course, we're in a media building, 44 floors here in New York City. I, I live in that small town in New Jersey, and I sometimes wonder if we even have Internet. Because when I was working from home trying to broadcast, the science project of my daughter's digital class would pop me off the air. And I'd have to tell viewers, I know you can't see me right now, but you can still hear the sound of my voice. So let's please continue. <laughs> I mean, so, but but what I love is that on the weekends, we don't talk anything about social media. Like, I talk about it when I'm in the building because it's part of my job. We talked all day long about the sale of Twitter today with Elon Musk. So that's part of it. But by shutting out people who don't know you, and I love that. Because you know what that what you said, Trey? You didn't say anything about hate or disregard or any of that. What you said was they don't know you. So why do you value it? And it's a great question. It's, it's a great point. It's so excellent. I just want to live there for the rest of the day. It's like, why do we give that? That is the monster. Don't give it the uh, oxygen uh, of letting it know that it's more important to you than the people who actually know you. You could preach. I bet you were great in the courtroom. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. uh, it would be You're a short modest, sermon. but I bet you were. It would be a short sermon, I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> 17 minutes is about the normal person's attention span. So I got to get that memo to most Baptist preachers, but oh, it's about funny. 17 minutes. I'm going to ask you, you, you got a book coming out about faith. I do. Which should surprise absolutely no one. Oh. Tell us what we what we can expect. When will it be out? How can it's, we get it? It's in November, and we're not even naming it yet because... The person you're talking to right now has three working titles, <laughs> and I'm waiting for the moment to hit me. But anyway, we have to, we got to turn it in in a few weeks, and it comes out in November. And I promise, promise, promise to give everybody a heads up when it does. I'd love to, to come back on and just do a quick, you know, chat about this experience. But I'll, I'll say this in short. This was an unknown purpose that I had on me. And what I realized was it's, it's story-based. It's journalism. It's tell 25 stories that prove that faith still exists. It's been the easiest thing in my life. I took this project on two weeks ago. And the ease of it and the, the fortifying nature for me, my soul, the process... All of it is making me better. And I'm meeting difficulties. Every, you know, everybody does. It's like, how do I balance that with the, you know, with everything else that's going on? I find the time. And I don't, sometimes don't even know how I find the time. I mean, I I have incredible resources around me. I'm going to shout her out now because she's here in the studio with me, Susanna. She was doing a little live Instagram off the top of your show um, with me. We find the time on the calendar that seems like it's not even there. She keeps me honest about that. And I never regret it. it. It's always one of those things where I put the writings, the stories down of other people's ties to faith. Like there's one story in the book that I worked on this morning. I, I just, God meets us right where we are. Can we remember that when we meet other people? Can can we remember that where we are is as special, unique, and difficult as where everybody else is? And when we can't remember it, and when we lose faith in others, can we not let anything take the place of the Lord? I don't care if my neighbor doesn't remember what my dog's name is. I actually don't have a dog. I have a guinea pig through my daughter. But if I had one. I wouldn't care about that. What I would care about is when I walk out of the threshold of my door, did I give a knowing look and a smile and an eye contact? I'm worried less about them meeting me where I am, but making sure that I'm meeting them where they are, which is probably complicated. I'm learning so much through other people's stories. These are short stories with powerful messages about faith still 
existing and working every day. Miracles in the book. Miracles. When was the last time somebody walked up to you and said, oh my gosh, have you had a miracle lately or seen one or know of anybody? Why don't we talk about these things? I mean, if somebody would share with me less gossip about hair products for the Kardashians, although Kim's hair is ridiculously beautiful, but if I could just get the story of a miracle in my life from someone who walks up, that might leave an impression on me that could help me change the world that day for somebody because it's already changing mine. We need to remind each other that even in the midst of Ukraine, those people on the ground, this makes me want to cry. There are miracles happening. And, and I have people on my show tray via Skype. We, we can't keep them up long because they're being hunted by the, the Russian army of terrorists, as I call them, because they are. They're being hunted and They'll share, you know, I'm in this bomb shelter and I've got my baby with me and I don't know if my husband's dead or alive because he's outside the shelter trying to help fight off people who've invaded a sovereign nation. And I think about those Russian mothers back waiting for their sons to come home because they were promised that the war was going to just take two days and the connective tissue between them. And do you know I had a mom on my air in a bomb shelter say... I feel for the moms in Russia wow. because they were lied to and their, their loved ones are dying too. It is a miracle before us that we can still connect our hearts in that way. We need to share our miracles. So that's the book. And aren't you glad you made me cry? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I could cry myself because I, I, I do struggle with cynicism. I, I struggle with that. Um, but the thing I've never had a cross-examination for is an authentically lived life. And if someone, if a Ukrainian mother is expressing humanity towards a Russian mother, amazing, that is something I have no cross-examination for. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I so I, I, you know, cynics and skeptics need those stories of authenticity uh, to overcome whatever doubt uh, may creep into their own uh, their own faith journey. So I can't wait for it to come out. Uh, I'm lucky because on about, a, I'd say once a week, someone will walk up to me and say, there has to be God or there's no reason for her to have married you. There's no other explanation <laughs> oh other than okay. a miracle. So I do get asked about miracles quite a bit. You're funny. But I <laughs> I have to I meet wanna, your wife. Oh, you would love her. She's just she's just the most effervescent person. I, I, I'm just. I want to know, know what she says about you. And I want you to meet my Tony. We celebrated last Tuesday, our 19th anniversary. And he looked at me and said, I can't believe you stayed 19 years. And I said, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, I did say that, but I was joking. <laughs> oh, 19. I, I think I think we're we're closing in on 32 or 33, no. but I've known her since I was 17. Oh, and, um, sweet as she's that. just the sweetest. I love that. sweetest person. I love I wanna, the way I'm you describe let... yourself when you met her, too. Wait right there. We'll have more next. Well, oh, this well. has been I mean, I need pictures to go with this. I want to I want to ask you one question before you go. I, who have you not interviewed that you wish you had? Ooh, that I wish I had. Uh, I think Biden before he became president. He spent a lot of time away from the public eye. And I think we didn't get to know him. I've met him many times and and met him at the White House. I've, I've met him, you know, out in social settings, the White House correspondents did where journalists go. And I have pictures with him and. Uh, I, I do not I do not know him. I still don't feel like the nation knows him, but I've talked with enough people on both sides of the political aisle, which inform me that they know less about him than they thought they did. Both sides. I, I wish I could have sat down with him and we tried. I tried. I reached out. He really wasn't doing very many 
media interviews while he was running as a candidate, certainly not at a national level, unless it were a place that he felt a little bit more politically safe or 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 at least they wouldn't ask him tough questions. And then Lester Holt, NBC's Lester Holt, asked a couple of tough questions after Afghanistan, particularly after he was president and, and our 13 service members were killed as we tried to exit uh, on on bad judgment and policy. Um, I, I would really like to have known who he wanted us to know that he was compared to who we know or think we know him to be as a leader now, just because so much has transpired. Um, and, and maybe, I mean, may, there might be, I, I've interviewed Bishop T.D. Jakes, an amazing interview, interviewed two presidents, Clinton and Trump, uh, in my career, have sat down with tremendous people of influence and uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, the Bishop Desmond Tutu, um, and and then people while they were in their places uh, helping others. You know, I, I've had a pretty good run of of being able to get interviews that I've wanted. So fortunate in that sense, but there's still people I want to talk to. I, I've I have a great deal of concern and and uh and curiosity about where powerful people want to land like are they really in it for themselves as much as it looks or are some of them going to do really great things I, i'd love to sit down with elon musk after the deal like I, I always find it complicated to sit down with somebody who still has probably five or six months away before they do what they're actually saying biden would be the exception there because well, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and I would love to have known what was in Jeff Bezos' head as he was tweeting out, you know, bad things about Elon Musk yesterday. <laughs> like, there are people on a daily basis that always kind of pop my curiosity. But uh, I, there's n- yeah. nothing quite like billionaires fighting with other billionaires. I know. I know. Make- and it's so true. It's so true. But I, I think where the country is right now that... Um, it would have been good to know Biden and it would have been good as a black woman to know him because I feel like he's somewhat boloed us. Be on the lookout for a black woman for vice president. Be on the lookout for a black woman for the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it's a beautiful thing that we're getting opportunities in a, in a category of, of diversity. Um, of, who wouldn't celebrate that? We have so many opportunities around our country. There's room for everybody in my book. But when you say you're only going to consider one thing, if that were in the reverse, would we ever want that? Would we ever want it never to be about merit? Or I should say not exclusively never, but mainly to be about something other than merit, skin, color, and hair texture. And then if it doesn't work out, Kamala Harris having a difficult time as vice president now, particularly in her communications. Um, if he goes through on what we're learning today, some reporting about, you know, and you've got some new book that's out, too. And, you know, you can't vet that on your own. But some reporting that's out, which indicates that maybe there was some concern uh, for Biden behind the scenes about putting, appointing her. And would they look at replacing her on a ticket if he runs again in 2024? Well, would that mean he'd bolo us again? Is he, it, you know, because he's already losing support in the black voter category for Democrats. What does that mean? Has he not learned the lesson of, as he told Charlemagne the God, the the radio host, if you don't vote for me, you're not really black. Has he not learned the lesson that we're not all the same? You can't just put one of us up and have her or him speak for all of us. Like, it doesn't work that way. And check off some boxes. So I I think we have, I would have had a lot to talk with him before the facts of where we are today. And I think it might inform a little bit. Look, one of the questions I would have asked him is, if you find somebody who's not a black female who's amazingly ready for the job of vice president, would you hire him or her? And to get him on the record to address that would tell us a lot. Because maybe it was really more about that than we ever knew. I would I love to hear that interview. And I would love I, I, I would love to talk to him. I mean, I, the... The way I look at it, he did a disservice to Justice Jackson. 
he did a disservice to Michelle Childs or any other person that was under consideration. I, I mean, black women do not need to compete only against themselves to oh, succeed. Preach. Yes. Yes. I, I yes. had. In fact, I they would exactly prefer that we do. Who, so then you only have one. I, but but why not say, you know what? I'm going to go find the very, very best person for this job. Amen. And it's OK if you know in your mind. I knew in my mind who was going to be my staff director at the oversight committee. I knew in my oh. mind she happens to be an African-American female. I knew I knew that that's who I wanted. Oh. But I don't need to pat myself on the back and say I am only going to pick a black female because that is a disservice uh, to her. But see what you just said. Pat yourself on the back. And that is the thing, right? It's self-aggrandizing. It's not about her. Right. And by the way, you, when they when they were at the super spreader event in the Rose Garden, when they said that they weren't going to do that, because <laughs> it turned out to be one, unfortunately, and I don't mean to laugh about the fact that people tested positive and we hope everybody's OK. I'm laughing about the fact that they were so hypocritical. Oh, you know, when President Trump had theirs out there for Amy Coney Barrett, it was a super spreader. It's always right. a super spreader when you get a bunch of people together sitting too close together and, and you're not quite sure what their status is. Like, it shouldn't even be political. But anyway, he stood there and took up time talking about himself with Katanji Brown Jackson over his left shoulder and Kamala Harris over his right. And then when he went to give her credit for where she was at that moment, he gave himself some credit. And then he pointed to some man in the audience who I didn't know. I mean, I'm in a biracial marriage. My husband's a tall white guy, 6'4", played D3 basketball at Occidental. They called him the 2020 guy. He could jump, though. You know, last 20 seconds, up 20 points. God bless him. But (laughs) anyway, um, he could drain the threes, but mainly a practice. So he looked at her white husband and, and gave him the credit. I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like, what is Biden doing at this point? Did he mean to pick her because she is her resume was amazing. There were a lot of Republicans who leaned in during the confirmation hearings and and challenged her politically, which wouldn't they do that with anybody. And by the way, if they didn't do it with her, wouldn't that also be some sort of a race driven behavior? Like, are we at the point now where we can't even talk to each other anymore? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the rules are anymore. Like you, you want to pick us and put us in high positions, but then you want to treat us like we can't take the game. Let me tell you, I take on everybody, not just the black people in the room that people hope that I go against. So you only have to pick one of us. Like if people watch me, they get me. They get me when the lights go out and it's just my voice. They don't know what I look like. They get me and I'm there for them. I don't care what they look like. We're here for the issues. We're here for the news. It's it's an amazing thing what you talk about, though, because that self-aggrandizement, he did make it about himself, didn't he? And in the process, I think, and I will give you the benefit of the doubt, I'll say unwittingly, he unwittingly, I think, marginalized um, someone that, look, a Republican would not have picked her, but her academic credentials and her experience were unassailable. I mean, she's on the D.C. Court of Appeals. She has outstanding academic credentials. Look, I, I don't you know, people were really mad at Tim Scott for not voting for her. I, look, she wouldn't vote for him. Right. I mean, and you're she, talking and about she shouldn't. Yes. Yes. And we're <laughs> and allowed to disagree. Not. Yes. Yes. I just I, I just. You know who I, I, I think thought, would be happy about it? Maybe not happy, but would respect the process is Katanji Brown Jackson. Like, she's got to be able to hang in there, because if she can't hang in the hearings, how the heck is she going to handle the decisions inside that room? I, I think she can more than acquit herself with the illegal minds on the Judiciary Committee. Ooh, <laughs> Several of whom are my friends, but still, <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, I I think she was law review uh, and. You know, look, I, I, there, there's plenty of smart people in the Senate, but I don't know how many were on law review. So uh, I cannot wait for your book to come out. Thank and you. I cannot thank you enough for sharing with us. Uh, really, I don't want to say pearls of wisdom because it's the whole necklace. It is. <laughs> well, it, thank it, you. You gave me some diamond inserts for that necklace. Well, I the only thing I would say to you, 
uh, young girls, because it's hard, um, I think in the culture that we're in, is just I, I, we just have to stop caring what people who don't know us think about. I love us. that. We just have to stop and starve the monsters of the oxygen. Feed the starve. Queen. That is that is great advice, and it may be that we just don't want to go check the comment section. Um, maybe that's one way to starve the oxygen. I will Not tell go you look this. And see. I try not to check the comment section because I don't participate in them. Like if, if I see a tweet, I'm not likely to comment. So if in media, I'm not commenting and Lord knows I got a lot to say, then why am I reading the comments that other people leave? You know, and, and you know what it. I loved about today, though? I have to admit, when Elon Musk announced or his people announced that they bought the company, I saw a lot of people coming back to Twitter and I did see more kindness on there today. I'm oh, really? Kidding. Good. I, like I saw comments between people in my feed, not comments, but you know, like if you have a tweet and then they retweet you with comment above it, I don't talk about the the listings below it. I don't get there. But if somebody takes mine, lifts it and puts their own, it was interesting. The tone was better. You know, sometimes we keep people out, Twitter. I think sometimes we, we shut that door on people because we're so afraid for others to see that they're good. I think you were right about that earlier. Maybe some of these voices that have been quieted on, on Twitter were because they were good. We don't know, but maybe we're about to find out. Well, I need, you know, the last time I was on Twitter, Harris, I, I did or said something and someone tweeted, you are the dumbest person no. on the face of the earth. And so I looked at it. And then I, I, I called her and I said, Mom, you have my cell phone number. Why would you not call me? You don't. You, Your mom is all, you, not on Twitter. I said, first of all, Mom, you don't know everybody on Earth. So how do you know that? Oh, I'm the you know There's what? no way to know that. So I told her, just text me from now on. You don't have to tweet. You just are. Text me. You know what you are. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's all funny. right. You've given me something uh, extra to think about on Christmas and Thanksgiving, even though it is time of happiness and, and, and family. It also, and I already should have known this, that is when the memories are most acute yeah. um, of people that are celebrating perhaps in a different realm uh, from where we are. I appreciate so, that. Thank you. Your parents, I know, I will say this in the present tense have got to be incredibly proud of you and whatever they did they should write a book about how to raise a daughter that goes from being skinny with a gap in her teeth and pair of faucet hair you like that i just you you might have been talking to me i don't know i'm just sitting there thinking something happened something happened oh i love that thank you for your kind words it's been a pleasure to be with you Likewise. I look forward to your book coming out. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Take care, my friend. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You too. And thank you all for joining us for another Tuesdays with Trey. We'll see you next week. Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.